Hello and welcome to episode 188 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now on today's episode, I'm joined by a guest that I've wanted on this podcast for over five years. It's a band I've followed since my teenage years. I was obsessed with the first album Swim and then the incredible Polythene and I've been a fan of this band ever since. They're one of the best live bands that I've seen out there and I truly believe that it's one of the best songwriters of our generation. I'm thrilled to announce that on today's episode, I'm joined by Grant Nicholas of the absolute awesome band Feeder. The interview will be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. We get to talk all about the band's history, songwriting, their brand new album that's coming out soon, Torpedo, life on the road, touring, headlining download and so much more. But let's touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 187, I was joined by Dan from the amazing band Alkaline Trio. Thank you to everyone that took the time to listen. I had a great response and it was so good to see everyone checking out his brand new solo album. But let's get back to today's episode. For me, this is one of my biggest interviews that I've done. Grant Nicholas from The Amazing Feeder. So I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it. So here's me and Grant talking all things music. So Grant, thanks for taking the time to join me today on the Mark and Me podcast. That's okay. What I want to do today is take it right back to the early days. And I want to know those early albums that you were buying that you remember falling in love with and kind of making you probably want to pick up a guitar and think, I want to be in a band. There's quite a few. I mean, I remember obviously being very young and uh, being in my dad's car and sort of listening to anything from um, ABBA to sort of Carpenters, so, you know, typical, you know, pop music and the easy listening 70s, you know, bands like Bread, that super nice. kind of mellow 70s, kind of acoustic stuff, you know. You know, nothing particularly cool. I mean, my, you know, my parents did like the Beatles. I wouldn't say that they were huge, mu- you know, kind of music experts. I would say my mum was very into music. She was more into musicals and stuff like that. She used to yeah. sing. So she, she used to do a lot of acting and singing, you know, stuff like... Um, Sound of music and all that kind oh, of wow. stuff. Oh wow! So that's where any musical, any small trace of musical talent I have, I think, comes from. Definitely comes from my mum's side of the family. My dad's not. He loves music, but he's not at all musical. Um, he doesn't play anything or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so basically, anything from sort of going to see my mum play. Uh, so, so you know, obviously yeah. sing and perform in his musical, and just what my dad was playing in his car, and then. I mean, I'm talking of like very young now. I mean, I'm of sort course. of, you know, super young. And then as maybe when I was sort of got to eight or nine, um, I started to really get into music properly. My older brother obviously was buying records and cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was um, it was honestly a real mixture. I've had a real kind of, you know, mix of what he introduced me to, what my mates were listening to. You know, I grew up just outside Chepstow, which is a pretty small place. Yeah. There's not a huge amount going on. So music was a real escape and it was just something to do. So it was anything from Fleetwood Mac, um, you know, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Tom Petty. I got to Neil Young. It was, you know, and also, you know, bands like Early U2, um, Early Simple Minds, you know, um, uh, Gary Newman. Um, you know, it was a real sort of, you know, mixture and also actually quite a lot of punk rock you know sex yeah. pistols um i was really into the police like police have been a big influence on me um just kind of one of those bands uh, david bowie you know, lots of kind of usual stuff really but it was a real niche i didn't really i didn't really sort of i think when i was at school there was tend to be more the music was a bit more separated you were either like into goth or you were like an indie kid or like a rock thing whereas i was just into lots of stuff and um i think music's become a bit more like that now actually kids don't tend to sort of if it's a good song they like it they go with it you know that's definitely the case and can you remember those first shows you went to maybe your brother took you but those early gigs yeah. where you were like oh my god well my first sort of experience of seeing a live band was my was a sixth form band at school that were called no parking i think <laughs> just great name <laughs> and they were just sort of covers bands and that's what i used to do in my school band but the first gig I think I remember going to was not with my brother, actually. We used to have this really cool maths teacher at school who didn't, he was, you know, very conservative looking. Um, and he was a great guy. He was called Mr. Gregory, I think his name was. Um, he didn't actually teach me maths, but I think he taught my brother. But he was, uh, he's really into rock, like heavy rock and all sorts of stuff. That's so awesome. he used to, 
somehow he used to organise to take, you know, to take kids to go and see gigs. We used to go to the Colston Hall mainly in Bristol, which is obviously now changing name for various reasons. But um, it was it's just a really great venue, and it was it was. Uh, I think the first band I saw was, I think it was either Ozzy Osbourne or Black Sabbath. I think it was Ozzy Osbourne, actually. And then followed closely by, I think, Death Leopard. Bloody hell. <laughs> lots, of, lots of 80s, lots of sort of 80s sort of metal bands, you know, Judas Priest, all those kind of bands. That's amazing. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of what, what we went to see and it totally blew me away. Just, you know, you know they, there was some, I mean, I saw, I remember seeing when I saw Ozzy, it must have been Aussie because it was there was a guitar player who was very legendary, and still is actually. Um, he died very young in a plane crash. But his name was Randy Rhodes, and okay. he was an amazing guitar player. He was sort of you know, you know, for me he was up there with sort of Eddie Van Halen and stuff like that. You know, he 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 was definitely, you know, would have been a, I think a legendary guitar player, but you know, but um, but sadly he uh, he was killed actually very young in a plane crash. Not only a few weeks after I saw them, I think. So yeah, so those were a few bands that I definitely remember going to see. Um, and yeah, I was just sort of, it was just sort of hearing a drum kit through a PA, just the power of it. I remember there was no barriers there in those days. So you could literally go right yeah. up to the front of the stage and we chin on the front. So, so you had a great view. And it was just, uh, yeah, it just totally blew me away. I was, I, I, I think that was a, I think that was when I decided I definitely wanted to be in a band. I love I love that thought of you just being there with a teacher seeing stuff like Paranoid by Black Sabbath being played in front of you. It was. Fucking it, unbelievable. It was well, he used to let us just get on. Was, yeah. I mean, we, 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 we used to often sort of go and buy our T-shirt and sit off on a bootleg outside. I shouldn't say that, really. And, uh, you know, like rush to the front and literally he's, just be headbanging for the whole time. And then the next day, you sort of, you know, sore neck. And But it was a great, it was a great experience. And, uh you know, it really introduced me to music at quite, you know, at a, at quite a young age. Yeah. That's awesome. Mine, mine wasn't as cool. Mine was Cooler Shaker at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre. That's all right. Centre. No, Cooler Shaker cool. are a good band. They are. They're a good band. It's just not but, as cool uh, as saying Black Sabbath with my teacher. Well, I don't know. And at the time I said that, and that, you know, for some people that maybe isn't cool, but they were sort of, you know, they were bands that got me Aussie and just like Sabbath and just been sort of legendary, you know, major yeah. careers. I can't really mock that. But um, I'm sure there was a few others as well, but those are, those are definitely a few that I remember. I mean, Def Leppard, you have to remember, they became a very big American, huge band. But they, they were, it was when they were just on the, they were just on the sort of start to get really big. And I think they went to America and they went huge. I mean, they were a massive band. So, um, and it was, I think it was, what was the tour? It might have been the High and Dry tour or something or something like that. Yeah. Remember, but, but, you know, you can't mock a band you know, I'm not necessarily into all stuff now, but it, you, you can't knock a band that's had that kind of career, that had that no. kind of impact in America. I mean, they sold millions and millions of records. And yeah, it, was, it, it was a time for that kind of music. It's all about big hair and big choruses and stuff like that, you know. Definitely. And I suppose when you've been talking about that collective mix of bands that you love, you know, the heavy, but then you've also got the mellow. I think that mm. must have been in your blood because when you've been writing songs with Feeder, when I bought Polyphene and Swim and all your early albums, the fact that I could listen to these real heavy tracks that were really, you know, distorted guitars, like a like a British kind of Smashing Pumpkins kind of rock yeah. sound of Billy Corgan's guitar tones. But then you had songs on an acoustic like High on the same yeah. album, but it was still the unique sound of Feeder. That must be something that's stuck with you because even with Yesterday Went Too Soon and all this, you know, all your stuff has a nice mix of, a bit like Biffy Clyro, you got the heavy, the mm. rock band as a free piece, but you can also pull out an amp from what gets the whole crowd singing a chorus on an acoustic. You've got that power. So that must be from from your roots of growing up with these amazing bands. Yeah, I think so because I think a lot of the bands I grew up listening to were real song-based bands, and I even like Eagles and stuff like that. Bands with harmonies. I mean, but Tom Petty's a massive influence on me, even more yeah. so as I got older. Just, just sort of love his style of songwriting, and I really connect with his chords and the way I kind of write. But yeah, I mean, we got compared to Pumpkins and stuff like that. I was, you know, we were really to Sabbath, and a lot of those those tones and guitar sounds. I mean, I remember um, there was a kid at school that I always used to have like really cool like guitar pedals, and I had some little crappy distortion <laughs> one that sounded absolutely rubbish. But at least it was like a distortion. I was like, oh, that's how you get that sound. And he had a big muff pedal, which I've gone on to use. Yeah. I used it a lot on polythene, and I use a tone bend as a big muff. 
And that was very much that kind of pumpkin sound, like very saturated. But it, but it did really come from the 70s, a lot of that sound, you know, that's that kind of saturation. And um, it was actually a bit of an accident. I really fell upon that sound. It was just from using a few cool pedals. And for me, the guitar sound was really important in, in feeder. It was more about the sort of sound and the actual being, you know, like the best lead guitar player. And I didn't really care about that I was more into songs and tone and sounds and just getting big, just trying to make a big sound out of three people, you know, and the you know, combination of like Taka's bass playing and my guitar tone and obviously John, it just kind of came together and it worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was sort of, you know, to answer your question, I think it's definitely down to, I mean, I'm a real song guy. I yeah. love melodies and I think that's always been there. And that's, that's a massive part of what feeder are. And, you know, even going back to that first album, Swim Polythene, even, you know, two colours when we were signed and everything. I was always writing songs on acoustic and stuff. And having that, I always, you know, we always had that as a band. I always had that as a writer. And I think the Echo, who were our label that signed us, they signed us actually on the back of a lot of our acoustic stuff because they saw this band. Oh, they're kind of grungy heavy, but they have, they could evolve into something and be a bit more than that. Yeah, and maybe be, you know, you mentioned Pumpkins, but to me, what I loved about bands like the Pumpkins, I didn't mind being compared to them, is they had songs with strings on, they had, yeah. acoustic songs they had big riff songs anthemic songs and you know kind of led zeppelin had that you know and i and, and to me that's what i loved about zeppelin they they can have a folk song and then they can have cashmere you know it's yeah, brilliant it's and i just love it yeah but they had that freedom as a band so to me it feels completely normal it doesn't feel it's i don't even think about it it's just it's just kind of in my blood it's in my dna and i can't it's just the way i write and it's just and that's what kind of set that sort of idea for the whole feeder thing really when we started like many years ago 92 before i made met Taka, um you know we liked the three boost thing i i, I know john was like massively into the police as well he's a big Chuck colvin fan and we just liked the fact that three people can make a real racket and you had to work a bit harder and it was also really portable so yeah. it was a bit cheaper to tour a three piece you can all mean? fit in one car as well which is always good. <laughs> you can all get it was really handy yeah um it was just less people, you know, and it was, it, it was, a, you know, it was a real challenge. You know, obviously as you evolve, you can't do all those parts live and you think, oh, I can't do the string parts, those four guitar parts I put on. But because the songs started off, you know, working just in, it might have been the riff or the chords, they still kind of worked in a more yeah. simplistic way. You know, you, you mentioned Biffy Clyro, it, it's a similar thing with them really, because they've evolved, they have yeah. songs now, they're really grand. But, you know, Biffy, you know, they opened for us, um, going back many years ago, probably around their second, third album time. And, um, and you know, they were, you know, they, they, they definitely had something and they just made a real racket. You know, we're different musically in some way, but there's some similarities. And, you know, they reminded me a little bit of us when we started and they, they've obviously evolved as we've evolved as a band, you know. But they're still, I still see them as being, they're still a three-piece at heart though. And I think that deep down, I, I still feel that way. And I know, not taking any of the credit away from our live musicians because they're absolutely amazing. Of course. You know, Dean, you know, Dean Deval and Tommy Gleason, they bring a lot to it. But but for me, that chemistry is, you know, will always be that feeder thing, that sort of three piece. I think as well, you mentioned in bands like Police and I'm sure bands like Rush, yeah. you know, you go and see them on, you know, there's three people and you can't believe that they're putting in such a shift because it's so much hard work to try and, yeah. in an arena with these three people and they do it endlessly it's brilliant i know i mean obviously obviously they were a big influence for me as well i mean permanent waves is i mean i yeah. still play it all the time now it's you know they're a great band and um i actually went for dinner once there with alex he took me my friend he's very good mates with him and the uh, he was over in london he took me out to some some really fancy uh dinner we ended up in his hotel room till about six in the morning oh, a little wow. bit worse for wear it was it was quite incredible story, but it was uh yeah so so i used to hang out with uh you know, like a member of Rush. So yeah, um, but um, yeah, it was that three-piece thing. I mean, I remember seeing some footage of Rush, and I know that Geddy Lee used to, uh, used to have the bass pedals, and they used to have a lot of stuff going on to try and do all that. You know, pretty clever. I remember Taka had bass pedals in the early days of Feeder, actually. So he used to trigger it with his foot. With, nice. and that must have been god knows how he did that he had to make sure he didn't have too many beers before he went off stage, so <laughs> he'd be hitting the wrong, <laughs> he, he, he'd be hitting the wrong pedal. But um, yeah, it was, um, you know, we did it for, I mean, you know, we still go back to 3P sometimes. We haven't done it for a while, but sometimes we rehearse when we got a new record. Sometimes we saw just to, just to sort of do it like gradually. Sometimes we'll rehearse just as, as three and then, and then maybe, and then um, 
maybe sort of like bringing Tommy and CCR just so we can get the basics right and then go yeah. from there. But I mean, this really depends, really. I mean, things have changed a lot, obviously, with all the technology and things like that. And, um, you know, we don't, it's it's hard to, you know, the thing I miss about the early days of being in a band is you could just go to some little, some little dodgy room with some awful PA, it just didn't matter. And you just, plug your amp and you just go and just play for hours. Whereas, you know, when you get bigger as a band, there's, there's, there's much more to it, you know? Yeah. You've got to get all the gear out the lockup. You've got to get your, it's, it is, it's a bit more of a palaver. I do, you know, sometimes I wish I just had this little room, you know, and I'm still looking for one actually. <laughs> we could just <laughs> go in there, just have a couple of little lamps, you know, some little basic drum kit and just go keep in there. Keep it raw, and yeah. Just keep it raw. But I think every, I think every band, as they become more successful, I think they really sort of like crave and miss that sometimes, you know, unless you're very lucky and you've got your own big complex, you know. Um, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's hard to do that. So when we're in rehearsal, we have to really make the most of our time there because it's quite a faff getting it all set up. One of the things that I loved about the early feeder albums and seeing you guys live, and it must be 20 years ago now, which blows my mind, is the fact that when I listened to Polyphene and then I'd go and see you at a venue at that size would be something like Wolverhampton, Wolfram Hall, those sort of venues. Mm -hmm. You sounded like the same band as the CD, which was important. You know, you go and see some bands that are so overproduced and you go and then see them live and it's a letdown because you're like, okay, it hasn't got the 17 layers of guitars. It hasn't got all these harmonies and string sections, Mm -hmm. but I think that's kind of responsible for the way that you portrayed yourself on CD, but you had Chris Sheldon at the realm. And for me, he's one of the most incredible producers out there. The stuff he's done with Foo Fighters and bands like Ruben are just flawless. So it must've been an absolute honor to work with someone so good and such a incredible human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was great. I mean, I, I mean, Chris obviously mixed the Foo Fighters. It was yeah. produced by Gil Norton. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously Gil Norton. I've done more production with him than Chris, but I, I, I still work with Chris on a regular basis. He's, you know, he's a great mixer. He's a great producer as well. But we tend to work more. He tends to do more mixing stuff. Yeah. Nowadays, which is what he tends to do in general now more because of course Chris, Chris is very lucky because he was kind of an engineer that got into like production and was always really good at mixing. And I think it's been really great for him because a lot of big producers, you know, those big paychecks aren't aren't quite as, <laughs> as good as they used Not to be. Back used to in be the yeah. But you know, back in the nineties, I think even what we spent, and we were on tight budgets, uh, it was a lot of money. And I think, and some of the bands that we were, you know, our, our contemporaries at the time were, oh my God, I mean, their album budgets were just ridiculous. And my, I'm thinking, God, how are the labels ever going to get that back? Um, unless they're extremely successful. But um, Chris is brilliant. And he's just, he's, he feels like he's almost part of the band, really, Chris, because he, he, I mean, I, you know, we have a real laugh together and we wind each other up, but he's, he's, he's a great guy. And I know him, you know, I, I've known Chris for even before Feeder, actually. And um, he's always somebody that I enjoy working with. I push him really hard because I know Chris can just like mix like that and do his thing. Yeah. But if I, if I push him that bit harder, I, you just get that little bit of magic sometimes out of him because he knows what I'm like. And I think he, you know, mixing's a very, it's a bit like songwriting. It can be quite a lonely thing sometimes because you're thinking, is it any good? Or do you, sometimes you need a little bit of like, you, you know, you need some input, or, you know, in some way. And I think that, you know, mixing must be very lonely sat there because you're probably thinking, I think it sounds good. So sometimes having a little bit of input, it's not insulting, I don't think. I think it's sometimes you need that. And I think um, sometimes, so Chris will send me a mix. I'll go, sounds amazing. What do we do? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know, maybe just turn down that back event on a tiny bit and it's done. And then some take a bit more time. You know, um, it, it, I mean, there's no rules. No. But yeah, um, I mean, Chris is brilliant and we've worked together for a long, long time. Um, I've worked with some great producers and mixers over the years, but... Yeah, you just find somebody that he understands our chemistry. He understands what's in my head, I think, more than a lot of people. And as you, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm quite honest here to say that when he came to see feeder shows in the early days, it, it wasn't too dissimilar to the record. But there was actually quite a lot of guitars on those records and parts. But somehow, I think that because the songs were written with the main guitar part, as long as that was there yeah, and the drums and tackers parts were there, I think we kind of got away with it, you know? 
I think it's like maybe you, uh, Biffy did, yeah. yeah, like Biffy's a great example, especially like Vertigo, Bliss, those early albums on Black yeah. and Sky. But I think I think you just pulled it off. Maybe it was the pedals, maybe it was the rigs you were using, the amps and stuff. But when I went to see your shows, there was not any lack of sound. There wasn't, oh hang on, that bit's not there. It just came across mm. like the CD I'd listened to or probably cassette on the way to the gig, you know. Yeah, I mess with tunings a lot as well. I used to do, you know, a lot of lower tunings to fill out the sound and, you know, pedals and just my amp setup. I mean, I don't have a typical big, huge, like, kind of rock setup. I always used to use, you know, combos in general. And people were quite surprised by that. I remember even when I worked with Chris, he was like, oh, I expect you to have, like, eight Marshalls, but <laughs> I just have these two little combos, like a Vox 8030. I was using a Fender Twin then, which I often still use, but I tend to use Fender uh, Deville's now. Fender Deville's are guitars. the most beautiful sounding they, guitar for a clean tone. They're just fucking they're great. I, they're really good. I find them a bit more versatile than the Twin because some Twins sound fantastic. I had a great black face Twin that went that got burnt in a bus fire on tour, and I and I've never replaced it. But I've still got my original seventies Twin, which I used on Polythene, which is a bit of a I shouldn't be rude about it. It's a bit, it's a bit of a dog, but it, but it, it's got a, it's got a character to it, and, it, and yeah. it's a proper old school seventies one. We used to, Chris used to make me, we used to plug it into a. Um, I used to have a really old school, if I still got it, um, Greenback Marshall four by twelve, like the old Hendrix style ones. I know the we used ones, to yeah. basically, yeah. So we used to take, we we used to not even used to speak in between them because we used to go into that, and that was something we tried. I mean, Chris used to mess around with. Now it's sound great. So that was kind of. That's, that was the whole polythene guitar rig. It was basically um, Fender Twin going into Marshall 4x12, Vox 8030, and then I used to track a lot of the rhythm stuff with with the same Marshall, which I track virtually every feeder song with now, which I which I um, swapped and paid some cash for off Chris Sheldon. Wow. <laughs> it was his amp, and, I, and I've still got it in my studio, but I can see it from here. Um, and that's been on pretty much every feeder song since we started, well, since I've had it. There's guitar people listening right now, rubbing their hands <laughs> together, going, oh, wow. But And everyone else is falling to sleep. Yeah, like, oh, shut God. up. Just talk about the albums. Oh, I don't care. Like, yeah, it's actually quite nice to talk about gear once in a while. But uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty old school setup. I'm not I'm not really, uh, I mean, I love vintage gear. I'm not at all a guitar geek type at all. I'm not great with programming stuff. I mean, like Tommy Gleason, our guitar, you know, I love guitar players. He's amazing at all that stuff. He literally will have the, the latest pedal and it will all be programmed and, it's like a spaceship, and I look at it and go, "Oh my god, I wish I had that," but I wouldn't really know where no, to start. Too much to think wrong. about. But he's he's he you know, and he's brilliant, and also he's doing a lot of those atmospheric sounds and all those little things that I do on the records that he can recreate using all his pedals. Whereas I would have about fifty different things all plugged in with yeah. wires hanging out. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm keeping it old school because, you know, yeah, of course it's nice to have a really fancy sort of setup, but it's also I don't want to lose that that sound that identity i have and i have gone through various things i do change it here and there i'm not totally uh totally lazy but i i kind of like that sound i feel as though it's a massive part of of you know of, of that feeder kind of you know uh, dynamic and, and something that amazes me about feeder is the kind of range of your audience so i hate to admit it but i'm 40 next month which makes me feel really old it's a little um, baby well i, know, I think but, how i feel i know mate it's scary and you know, if I go to a feeder show, some people would be like, oh, you're here to pick up your kid. I'm like, no, fuck off. You know, I, I was there back in the day. I got swim on, you know, vinyl. Fuck you. But then there's other people that are there that are sort of in their 20s that are discovered you. And then there'd be bands that have got on board when you kind of, you know, Buck Rogers days and just yeah, a day yeah. and all that. But then you're getting new fans from your new material. So it, it must be incredible to look out and see. You know, you've played Download V Festival, the complete opposites mm. of festival. Your picnic hampers at V, and then Download Rockers with their fucking black hair and. Screaming. I know. I mean, you appeal yeah, we're to very both. Fortunate. You appeal to both perfectly. Yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate. I've had this. I've mentioned this before. You know, we've got literally. I get parents sending me messages and kids saying, "Oh, my kid's only twelve. Can he come to the game at 10, 11? I think he can do it. That's the age I was saying, like. Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. I'm thinking this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, a lot of people said you were the first band we ever saw. You know, you always get asked that question. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, there's quite a few that might say feeder actually, but it's yeah. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I'm totally flattered by it. So I think we have, you know, as you said at our gigs, it's such a mixture. There's some really quite young kids there. There's a lot of 20 year olds there that who are sort of you know into 90s music, maybe you know discovered the feeder 
whether it was from you know um you know spotify or from their older yeah you know, from their parents or older brothers you know like i discovered music i don't care but it's great and it and you know i have such respect and i feel so honored that we've had so many like amazing diehard fans over the years and there's a lot of them that still come to all the shows but it's really great to have a sort of new army of feeder kind of followers coming as well just have that mixture of old school and new and just keeps it really fresh for us and uh and you know we must be doing something right because kids are hard to please i know i've got two The scary thing as well is it's the attention span as well. Like I found that, you know, I sound like a granddad now and I never thought I would, but I'm missing the days of queuing up outside our price or Virgin, getting an album, 12.99, going home and listen to it from start to finish. You wouldn't flick through the tracks. You take out the booklet, the smell of that freshly printed booklet, the lyrics, the photos, (laughs) the studio pics, every word you've written. And now it's like, oh, if I, I push play on Spotify, if I don't like it, I just skip it and then go to the next one. And it feels so disposable. But I remember like doing my paper round for a whole week so I could go out there and afford to buy the new Bush album or Green Day. And, you know, right. I feel like as great it is, you can get your music heard by anyone by the touch of a button. I, I miss the, oh, I've got to do sound like a granddad. I miss the old days of going out and physically working for that CD and then cherishing it and listening to it for weeks and learning every song. And it must be tough for you now because you sold all those vinyls back in the day, the tapes, the CDs, but now trying to get someone's attention span for more than five minutes is tough, you know? It is, but I'm, 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 I'm afraid I'm trapped in a bit of a time warp because I, I can't just because of the kind of band we are, where we came from and what I grew up listening to and buying records. I, Every feeder record, I can assure you, whether whether people like the record or whether it's our best album or our worst album, you know, whatever, every one of those records, there's a lot of love gone into that record. And I don't yeah. just mean the music. I mean, I am literally, it's so important to me, you know, the artwork, working with the right people, the right artists. You now I spent weeks, weeks, I mean, months doing it sometimes, making sure that all the credits are right, making sure that, you know, the sequence takes me forever i mean i say tell him do this and he's like yeah you know you whatever you know the, uh, but i am i am just like to me it's so important and, and i know most people don't care but i i sequence an album um like i want people to hear it and to, to be that journey i don't i don't sequence it to be like flipped through i know that's the world we live in but there's some you know the old romantic in me thinks there might be some fan that will buy that album just put it on from start to finish and go yeah or I didn't like that. Fine. But yeah. at least hear it in, in, in the way I wanted to hear it. And, you know, it may not be in the right sequence, but that's what, what that, that's where we came to after weeks of changing it around. Honestly, you, you would think if you saw me and how anal I am about it, you'd probably think I've, I've, I need some help. No, no, it's good. <laughs> I think it should be. I think some bands, not, not even if it's not a concept album, I think it should take you on a journey. And there's a reason why you might have insomnia right at the start of an album to get you, to kick you, to pull yeah. you straight in. But then later on, you've got the mellower tracks that then end with a massive fucking abruption of just rock again to take you through that. So I know that you it's not anal. It's being proud of what you do and being creative genius. You're sitting there wanting it's, it to. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, album to me, is like a it's like a show. It's like a film. It's, it's like a it's it's you know, it's like, you know, you put a big bit of your soul on, a you know, in music for people to hear. And it's and, you know, to me, it's a very visual thing in my head when I hear music. I'm sure I don't know if you get that, um, you know lyrics and you know it's a bit like when you read a book everyone has their own imagery of you know whatever that you know all the lines you're reading and I you know when I hear music I get that and I that's why I'm always a little bit nervous about over talking about the songs but it's something which I have to do sometimes or I'm, I'm open to do but I want people just to get their own imagery and just have their own little journey with it I just sequence it in the way I think this is this works this this is what I'm trying to say whether it has a bit of a concept which some of them do some of the songs are connected even on different records, I'm, I'm I'm really into that, and um, you know sometimes you know an album can be sequenced a bit like a live show. You know, yeah. if you have if you and that's and I you know some some of the more rocky records I approach a bit like that. You know, like you said, opening something with a bit of a bang. Sometimes you want to open a bit more mellow. It really depends on the what 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 you're trying to do with the record and what kind of record it is. So you know, and I think even if you come to a live gig, you know, what what I like about you know being a feeder and doing what we do is that we can have three or four like really heavy old school feeder songs or even something you know 
quite recent that's you know that's heavy and then we can sort of like drop in a really mellow song and i think you need that break sometimes people need kind of mentally if you're just bombarded with 10 you know 10 songs like shade it just beats yeah. the hell out of you yeah. you know and i think songs sound more powerful when you have a bit of a break sometimes and i think that i i, I kind of write like that as well because i think I love a good riff, don't get me wrong. And I know some people love that side of feeder. And I mean, I do, don't get me wrong. Playing the heavy stuff live is so much fun. I mean, like yeah. Tacky, just, you just see it, he just lights up, you know. It's, but you also, but it's the dynamics, you know, kind of around those heavy songs, I think, that make it a better show. And that's what I'm always, that's what I'm always trying to get right. And what I'm always, what we're always trying to do as a band, both on record and live. And it's quite hard to do, but it's a, uh, it's great it's what keeps it interesting it's what keeps it fun you know i still i still love still love writing songs and producing music and stuff like that it's not it's not a chore for me and it's not like it is a job because it's because it's my career but it's it's a dream you know uh it's something i always wanted to do since i was very very young and i'm very fortunate that i'm still doing it and i'm very lucky to still have all these songs that still seem to keep coming. <laughs> and and what somewhere. is it do you think? Because you know we've talked about some bands today that are no longer with us or that have just called yeah. it a day. But it's frightening, as we said it. You know, in '92, I think you formed like the Reed Band or whatever and stuff. But in '94, yeah, it launched yeah. as Real. Sorry, uh, and in '94, yeah. you know, you you launched. So we're nearly we're nearly at 30 <laughs> years. But you still, yeah. you know, the fact that you've got a new album coming out. Torpedo, it's your 11th album and you still, from meeting you in Birmingham 20 years ago at Wolverhampton and throughout your career, you still got the hunger now that you had 20 years ago and 10 years ago and it's it's great because so many bands are just it's so transparent for a fan but you see so many mm. bands now where they do a reunion tour, they go on stage and they're doing a cash grab and you're just looking going they're not interested in this but you're still doing it because you want to and it's you know, it's in your blood well, yeah, you know, you know, we put a lot into our shows. You know, I'd be lying to you if we, you know, we could just go totally old school, turn up, just use the lights of the venue, like a lot yeah. of bands of our era do, and not, and just, and, and people would love the show, I'm sure. I mean, so you can, at the end of the day, it's all about the music, but we do make an effort. We try and, you know, make it, you know, we can't do a new show. We don't, you know, we're not at that level, but, but we do, we put a lot into our shows. We work with some great people. You know, we, I don't know if you've been to any of our recent shows, but we have a lot of visuals and we've always got something. Yeah. You know, because we want, you know, we don't make as much money by doing tours like that. But to me, I, I, I really couldn't care. I, I, I just want people to have a great experience. And also, it's great for us to be part of a show that looks visually quite good. Obviously, you know, you're a bit restricted on some venue sizes and stuff like that. But, you know, we still, you know, we still care about it. And I think it's, you know, going to see a band you know, live is about the music. That's the most important thing. But I think if you've got a good like a good show around it it just makes it a much better experience for everybody you know and it just makes it a bit more fun for us as well sometimes it's great to go back and not have anything just play in some little place where there's literally two lights yeah you just put a any just put a few fairy lights around your mic stand just get up there and do it and I, sometimes i love those kind of gigs but but when we're doing a proper album tour and people are paying good money to come and see us i really you know you know we really do try and make an effort to make it to make it like a really great night for people you know it's um, important i mean it's 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 tough at the moment with the world and the way it's gone for people to come out and go to shows again but it's amazing that people put so much thought and effort into the stage show because it isn't just a gig then you've got like this production you've got the the visuals and it makes it an experience mm. so when i'm leaving i'm not just thinking oh, i'm glad they played that song i'm like god remember how those lights yeah. worked and the way that everyone sang along and then the different lighting was on the crowd at that point and it's an experience then as a whole you know that's why you're spending mm. your money and then it's it's tough isn't it to get fans to part with money for a cd now or anything at the merch table but to come to the actual concert and come out and you know be mm. distracted from their home life or their phone or their playstation it's it's an honor to then get them to come out and share an evening with you yeah it is. I mean, there's so many bands, obviously, you know, because of the whole COVID situation, everyone's starting to play it. There's a real, there's, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's great. It's real, let's all go for it, but everyone's, you know, everyone's fighting for a slot. So yeah. although it's starting to get really positive, it's actually made the competition and just availability for venues. And, you know, there's only so much money or only, only so many bands some will go and see. So yeah. it's, it's great. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm saying it's, it's although we've coming out of a really dark, dark place into a slightly better kind of world it's it's still it's going to take time to balance and to you know get back to some sort of kind of 
sort of normality, I think. But it's it's feeling positive, and you know, I'm just looking forward to just getting out there and playing again because it's not good not you know you're in a band. It's just not good to to, to not do that. It's just such of an course. important part, you know. Um, I mean, I I'm sort of you know we're lucky, and I'm very lucky that I write music, so it's kept me that's kept me quite sane, and I. And yeah, I'm writing as much stuff now as I did, if not more than I did in early feeder days, that's for sure. And I know I kind of learned a little bit along the way, but there's still a lot of stuff that I, you know, I listened to Polythene for the first time a little bit of it the other day. And I thought, although I hear stuff, I think, oh God, there was a lot of stuff on that record that I'm still doing now. And, I, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to go back and trying to say, you know, I'm not trying to copy that, of but it's, it's just a natural sound that we, still i still think sort of throws flows through most feeder records some albums have been a bit more you know a bit less heavy or maybe some people think they're more radio friendly but they weren't they weren't you know weren't necessarily written to be that it was just the it was just what was happening at that time it you know sometimes it could have been affected by some of the bands we were touring with you know you know we you know i mean the great thing about what what we've had over the years is that um I think Tucker posted, he found some old Reading footage of us to that, that really important gig back in, was it 97 or something? We were a three-piece. I know it's a really important gig for us and a real turning point for us in a, as a band. And uh, and I was, yeah, we, and then he put up, I think, Shade or something. And then he sent me a few that he'd found. I just listened to just a couple of old school feeder songs like My Perfect Day, Shade, you know, Descend, you know, stuff like that. And, and there was, I just felt a real connection. But when I listened to this album, you know, this new album, Torpedo. I'm not saying there's there's some some you know there's some sort of classic early feeder moments on this record. I think, and um, it was quite nice because I didn't really realise it at the time. And and you're sitting there saying that you're writing more now than the early feeder days. I know that you've oh, already you've already <laughs> sat there and written your next album, not Torpedo, the one to follow that, which is insane. Yeah, it is. I mean, actually, I've written I've written a few more tracks i mean i've still wanting some lyrics now but i've 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 written you know, five or six tracks which i wasn't planning on doing that i met that, that i really want to try and finish now so i just called tag and say i might have some more tracks i'll be sending up <laughs> you want to throw some bass on just we all hanging around um in fact i'm going to start doing some demoing on the on friday um just in my little studio with my engineer tim and um yeah, and to see what happens, really. So I don't know what, if they come out well, we'll, um, we'll either see if they either add those to what was planned to be the next record <laughs> and see and maybe drop a few off that Because these tracks are quite rocky, actually. There's one sort of in between, because there's one that's sort of quite classic feeder, but the others, are, you know, follow on more naturally from this like, Torpedo album. So it might just sort of, uh, it might be nice just to add a few like that, you know, to the next one as well. But um but it's not out of the fact we don't have enough songs for the next album because we've already got quite a few already, which is, it, it, it's not mixed, um, you know, the next album. There's no. three or four tracks that we need to finish off, but otherwise it's basically done. I mean, I mean, the story was, the songs on the next album were going to be, were written here before this album. Wow. <laughs> it sounds bizarre, I know, but basically I got back into writing during the whole lockdown thing and wrote pretty much the beat out of this album, Torpedo, and it just felt like we wanted to come back. I don't know, it just felt like, the, like a more natural record to come back with. Um, although the next record is probably slightly more, I hate saying the word commercial because it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a curse. It's probably slightly more, I, I would say slightly more upbeat in places. I mean, you know, there's still some Rocky songs on there, but it's just, it's probably a bit more classic feeder, a bit more the kind of, you know, uh, yes, they went too soon kind of era, I suppose. Wow. I mean, it's hard to say, really. I mean, because if I add some of these new ones, it might change the chemistry a bit. A bit. <laughs> but the fact that you've done this album, Torpedo, which, you know, the fans can listen to in a couple of months, they can then go and see yeah. you hopefully in May. And then what are we looking? Do you think it could be as soon as only sort of 12, 18 months Well, the plan was, we, well, we were going to do a double album because I, because uh, the plan was we thought, oh, what should we do? So I thought, well, I'll just keep writing. And then we, we were thinking about sort of revisiting the whole swim thing and then doing maybe three mini albums. And then um, when I played some of the new stuff to people, they were like, this is, this is really good. We should just do this as a proper album. And I was like, oh, we've got quite a lot of songs. Uh, well, what should we do with the others? And I suddenly thought, let's do a double album. <laughs> let's do the full, you know, let's do the full kind of like prog thing. Melancholy and, um, and the Infinite Sadness exactly, by Feeder. Yeah. Like, 
yeah, I've always wanted to do it, and I think I think it would have been strong enough. But it, I, I just felt like, you know, with the way you know, just talking about the way albums kind of come and go so quickly, I thought, is it too much information on you know one record? Is it? Is You're it asking too much do? of people's attention. You know, people aren't prepared now. They're like, no, fuck that. I don't want it. Give them two albums, know, they'll I, do it. But no. So basically, what I decided to do is it, it is a kind of a double album. It's, it's going to be two albums, um, but they're connected. So if you imagine it's a double album, but you have to wait yeah. for the second half. But they're, but, they're, but they're still standalone albums in their own right, so they're going to be different, uh, different artwork and all that. But we are going to use the same artist. Uh, that's the plan. We've already got the uh, image for the next album already done. So I, w- I, want to, I want it to have a kind of um, like a theme. So mm, sort of visually, lovely. yeah, it's just be nice to have the two together as well. You know, they, you know, they're very much going to be standalone, but to me, they're still connected. That's um, so it's kind of you know, so should you get the two, then you've then you got a double album. That's good. <laughs> and how and how do you feel about going out there and playing again? And I know it sounds weird, but you've gone from a band that have done small venues to headlining download to having a couple of years off. And I know it's not off because yeah. you've been writing and recording and demoing, and you've never been busier, but it must be incredible to feel that we're only, you know, touch wood a couple of months away from you going back out there, playing shows again, you know, connecting with people, but also playing songs that no one's heard yet. And that, you know, you yeah. can start to test the water with the audience of these brand new tracks. Yeah. Well, we did a couple of festivals this year. Um, yeah. So we were quite lucky to get those in that. That was a real, that was a real savior for us. Cause it was just, I was going, you know, I was just getting worried about not playing for that long. It's just, just not good for you. And, you know, you sort of get out of the, the whole kind of, headspace and sort of like physically as well it's not good not to be singing you know live yeah, just, you know there was you know because you build up you know you build up a way of doing stuff I mean, it's a bit like if you don't play football or don't go for a run yeah you get rusty so you go for yeah you go for a run after six months and you, you can barely walk the next day it's like that you know it's like that with live performing you know especially when you're singing or playing drums i mean like the drumming on feeder stuff is is pretty full on so but like jeff um, you know, he's got to keep himself like pretty fit to play that stuff. You know, it's all right in the studio, but when you go out live, you think an hour and a half feeder set, it's a workout for the drummer. I'm telling you. Yeah. So you three or four <laughs> days a week as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am really looking forward to it. I'm a bit, I mean, I always get a bit nervous before tours because, you know, I want it to be great. Um, it's going to be, it's always nice to play new music. And I know a lot of, there's a lot of people that just want to go and see a band they like and just hear the same greatest hits thing. And I, I, and I get that. But we've been doing that a lot. We've done a lot of festivals where we do pretty much a great hit. Um, and I'm not dissing any of that music or, no. you know, I appreciate people have bought that region. But this is this is in the new album tour. So if we go out and do the greatest hits tour, then it doesn't leave us time to play any new songs. So the plan is to play, um, I've said this a few times, is to do, obviously, you know, like a big chunk of this record. Yeah, if we can get it together in rehearsal, <laughs> and then you know revisit some you know some old feeder classics as well. You know maybe play things like Shade again and songs like that we haven't done for a long, long time. Throw a few of those old classics in that some of the diehard fans you know would probably you know uh, love to hear again. And you know maybe just do a couple of you know big hitters at the end. You know I think that's a great way of doing it because you leave people you know with a few songs that they really know, but it gives us a chance. It gives real fans a chance to hear something new as well you know and i think the stuff is going to sound good live so and i think the album would have been out for long enough that people will get to know the songs a bit and that helps you know if you go oh, on tour the albums literally just come out and you're playing all new stuff it can be quite tricky sometimes you can feel that sort of pin drop between songs well, definitely you know? in the crowd you go and watch a band then you go and want to see them play all the big hits and then that but this is a brand new song and the album's not out yet and literally i was like oh i'll go oh. to the bar now or it just goes oh, dead. I know. I mean, I always remember when we when we drop a song at a festival. Sometimes, and in fact, we you know we've done it quite a few times over the years. I mean, I remember playing Burton Rogers for the first time at the festival, and you have this thing like, "Oh my god, this this is really risky." But when you drop a new song at a festival and it connects like straight away, you think, "Oh yeah, this one's definitely got something." And you know, sometimes it might not be necessarily a commercial song. I mean, on on some of the festivals we did, some were quite mainstream audiences actually. You know, they weren't all that rock. Um, kind of line up festivals and uh you know we're it's bizarre because we seem to work on these bills that aren't don't really have many other heavy bands on but for some reason we just kind of rock up and it just it just seems to work you know which is great but um but yeah we uh you know we were playing songs you know like Kyoto from the last yeah. record I don't know if you've heard that song on yeah. the um on the uh, Tallulah album it's a pretty heavy track I and mean, it's, it's pretty old school feeder and 
you know, we love playing it live. Um, and it, you know, went down an absolute storm. And, you know, it, it didn't go down any worse than some of the big singles. But so sometimes I think you have to be some, you know, some, you know, give people credit sometimes. Because when you think a song is going to absolutely bomb, it can really connect sometimes. You never quite know, you know. Um, is that kind of like went in the in the mindset of obviously headlining download, which is insane, isn't it? What what a mm. thing to look back on. The fact you went on with that mentality of <laughs> trying to win the crowd over by doing your heaviest set ever, you know. Yeah, and, work. You know, we mentioned Biffy Clyro <laughs> a few times today, but they, yeah. you know, I went to see them and people walked away just because it was Biffy Clyro. Oh, they're not fucking Kiss. They're not Iron Maiden. Fuck them. That's what everyone's mm. mentality was. And yeah. then they played stuff like Machines and uh, Many of Honor, which is like, you know, Radio 1, the most perfect radio-friendly mm. songs. But your set at Download, it was when you started playing the more radio-friendly, yeah. stripped-down, acoustic stuff like High and, just, you know, even the Buck Rogers and Just Today, which is more radio-friendly and more poppy. Yeah. The crowd really got into it. and They didn't give a shit. Yeah, I know. It was, it, was, it was really weird. I think it's just people. There was a lot of people there that didn't, you know, that knew the band. They didn't necessarily know the, you know, the earlier stuff. And, you know, I was sort of, you know, so-called like metalers. I mean, they, I mean, most sort of heavy metal stuff, I mean, most of those metal bands have got some good songs. You know, they, you know, they're quite structured songs. A lot of metal stuff is quite, it's quite song-based if you actually listen to it. And yeah, it's like, you know, every metal band's got a ballad, haven't they? Of course, <laughs> yeah. Metallica, you know, and I just think that, you know, we just sort of maybe misread it. I think we were trying to sort of do too much old school stuff in the first half, trying to show that we can really rock out. Well, we didn't really need to. We just, just, just you know, just turn up just to do what we do. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think if we'd, maybe if we mixed the setup a bit more new and old stuff, I think that probably would have worked better. But um, I, yeah, I just misread it. But you know what? It, it, I mean, we, I mean, it was a great gig at the end. We did win it over. It wasn't like a complete howler. But, you know, it was an experimental year. They were trying to make it a bit more, in, you know, a bit more alternative rock, not seen as such, yeah. such a kind of metal festival, sort of lose kind of monsters of rock sort of label. So it was a bit of an experiment. That's why they booked bands like us and Biffy and you know, Garbage were on before us and stuff like that. But I think we, I think we still are grand. I think, and I think we definitely won them over. Um, you know, we were probably our most successful at that point because the yeah. company sound had done really well. You know, we were like on tour with bands like U2 and all sorts. I mean, it was a good time for us. And I, I think we would do it. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. It might even be the same weekend. I'm sure we, we went from download to supporting U2 or something. It was bizarre, but unbelievable though, isn't it? What yeah, it was. Moments. It was great to do that because I, I remember going to Monsters of Rock when I was younger and. To, to be headlining what was the equivalent of that was just thinking, my God, I never would have dreamed that, you know, and, having, and going to the press conference and meeting Ozzy and Sharon, you know, it's just bizarre. Amazing though. How good. And imagine now going back to your teacher and saying, you remember when you took me when I was 12 to see Sabbath? Well, here he is. He knows actually. Sadly, I think the teacher died. He, oh. was very, he, he wasn't very old, but I know that he apparently was quite, I was told he was quite proud of what I'd done and, and, and he knew I'd mentioned him in a few interviews. I was going back years. I think he was quite touched by that. But uh, yeah, sadly, he's not with us. But you know what? He was, um, yeah, that was just introducing me to seeing like a proper band and, you know, lots of rock bands was really influential, I think, on me anyway as a writer. And yeah. Something that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it doesn't matter if they're a musician, a film director, a writer, but what advice do you give to people that are listening today? Um, not just the people that are absolutely obsessed with guitars now that are loving the fact you've mentioned yeah. pedals and amps, but people that, <laughs> people, that, people that want to make a name for themselves and get out there because the industry, you've seen it. You've seen it from cassettes to vinyls to CDs, people mm. queuing up. How hard is it now, I think, to try and get heard? Yes, it's easy to get on Spotify, but it must be really difficult for a band to stand out because it's so busy now, the world of bands. It's like podcasts, you know, it's everyone's got a podcast, everyone's got a band. What advice do you give to people listening that want to try and make make it in this industry? You know, it's very difficult. My daughter sings a bit and she's not, she hasn't, I mean, she may get into a band. I'm not pushing I don't want to be the kind of dad in the band pushing my kids yeah. to do music. And, you know, they're both you know, into music. She's got a really good voice. I'm not, to, I'm not just saying that. She's got no, a really nice yeah. voice. And she, and, she, and she plays guitar. She's written a couple of songs. But uh, anyway, um, but I would, look, it is a really, it's always been a tough industry. And I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't. It was really hard for us to get, you know, to get signed, but we did it. And we chipped away. 
against some people that thought we were too heavy or you're too grungy you're not you know you're not cool enemy whatever we were like well fuck you you know you know yeah. this is what we do we've got we've, we've got some tunes we think this music with a bit of time can fill you know big spaces and that's that was always our dream and we stuck to it and uh, i would say that's the advice i would give it is a hard business and i'd be lying to you if i said that it's going to be easy and it's probably even easier to be in a band than it used to be back then because anyone can 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 make music now. It's so much easier to make records in your back garden, in your bedroom, which yeah. is a great thing. But I think everyone thinks they can be in a band now. So you've got even more competition, I suppose. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's financially, it's a very difficult, it, it, it's a very different time to what it used to be because people used to buy a lot of CDs and that's what helped bands to, yeah. you know to earn a living so it's really about at the moment it's more about playing live and stuff like that so i would say just just go for it but you know it's really all about having a good song or having good songs to, to, to me that's the key and being consistent and believing in yourself that's what i've always done that's what well that's what we've always done and we and we have had a lot of crit you know a lot of critics along the way but we were a bit like well we believe in this and yeah. i'm still here now talking to you almost 30 years later still making records and you know so that's the advice i would give but it it is a, it is a tough in, it is a tough industry but it doesn't mean to say that you can be the next biffy clyro or the next yeah. two fires or the next speed or whatever you know and anything is possible hopefully i'm proof of that you know uh, are we gonna sit here in 30 years time and do a follow-up podcast where you're going for your tom petty era and just <laughs> you know, doing your final I'll be, bits? I'll be seriously old i'll be seriously old but you know what i i i, I don't know if you've ever i mean i think because of my style of writing i think i can that i think i can grow grow sort of gracefully into that that's so the I mean, word I'm still yeah. gonna be very guitar driven i mean my solo stuff is you know very much touches on much more the kind of how i start you know how i write songs a bit more a bit more stripped back it's still very you know, you hear a lot of feeder elements in there, but it's pretty feeder without the beat. You know, there's no fuzz boxes and stuff like that. It's very much about keeping it a bit more, um, just a bit more laid back, a bit more organic. And that's something which, you know, we may grow into that a bit more. I've always, you know, my dream is to take feeder to be sort of merge into being a rock band and go a bit more towards that kind of yeah. Tom Petty sort of area. Because I think we have songs already that do that. It's just, you know, if, he's, if you pull a few of those big muffs off the, off the multi-tracks, you'd be amazed uh you know they still work in in that simplistic way as well you know because that's how i write them well that's the thing is that if you're sitting there with your acoustic and that's how it all starts mm. and then it builds upon that if the foundation was that it's easy to go back that yeah. direction i mean tom petty you know you, you know i don't know if you watched the wallflowers name the other Mate, film, tom petty's one of my favorite artists of all time i mean i, I, mean, I mean he was like you know there's a guy like a le legendary tom petty having to sort of keep the record company happy to do the two singles for, for his best of. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Tom Petty could just do what he wants with me. But, you know, so everyone has to play the game to a certain extent. And, you know, Warflowers, I suppose, was his, although he was still working with a lot of the same people. And that was yeah. the most bizarre thing about it. It was kind of a solo record, but it, it, it I, I think he really enjoyed making that record. And I, and I totally could see that. I, I, I felt a real connection watching that, you know, watching that uh, documentary thing. And it was so well done. Um, there is only yeah. one Tom Petty, isn't there? He's an absolute god, and his solo stuff, the the stuff with the heartbreakers, so everything is. I'm so gutted he's not around because he, you know, it's just a very unfortunate thing that happened because you know he was he definitely had a lot more songs in him, and the, and the kind of style he wrote in, he could do when he was older, and he could pull it off. And I went to see him at Hyde Park, and uh, I managed to get somehow I managed to blag um, a pass that got me on the side of the stage. So I literally hell, watched off the set, so watching, jealous. sat next. Sat next, so I, I think it was well. I wasn't so. I was, I was actually stood with with our live drummer Jeff Holroyd, and we were watching, thinking, "This is the most surreal thing ever." I think I think his daughters were still on the side stage, thinking, "Who are these two guys?" Yeah, are they meant <laughs> to be here. Like, yeah, are they meant to be? Literally, I I walked into his dressing room. Wow. Thinking, and I didn't realize he'd be in there. Um, and he's just in. The, it was it was a big dressing room, and we yeah. we walked in. We, we thought this is a bit awkward. Um, they didn't even blink an eye. They were over in the corner. They had like a piano. They were all kind of still around the piano, just kind of warming up. And oh my god! Honestly, I, I, I and there was booze on the thing. I mean, Jeff was saying, "Should we just help ourselves?" <laughs> Grab a beer and pretend you're meant to be there. Tom. Yeah. They didn't even blink an eye. They probably thought you're from somebody from the record company or somebody just sort of you know. That's had a pass amazing. Or 
it was the most amazing thing. But the one thing that I regret is I wish I got up to him and said, look, um, I've got this pass. I just want to say hi and just shake your hand. That's but it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I would have found uh, yeah. I would have been like Wayne's World, like, yeah, we're not worthy. I would have just been too much. I, I don't know how I, 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 would I think I would myself. Have... Yeah, I think I would have been as well. Actually, I think me and Jeffrey were thinking this is bizarre because try and be cool, try yeah, and be cool. Yeah, there's not many people that I would sort of get, you know, feel that way. But he he's definitely up there for me, and uh, and uh, just uh, just on the songwriting, I, I just like really connect with him, and I I, I feel, I don't know, I, I sort of understand just that that style of writing that he did, and um, yeah very sad but you know what we still got his music which is great and it's and it's timeless his stuff even though it's kind of it, it wasn't sort of now young thing it's so influential that music you can hear i you know when i hear bands like the eels and stuff like that who i love i can hear tom petty and the eels yeah. music you know it's yeah, amazing it's as there. well like even like last year you know the spotify wrapped up it tells you you most listened to music for the year and all this mm. it kind of does a summary even yeah. now my most listened to artist is Tom Petty and you know it was my parents 20 years ago and it's you know in 20 years time I'll still be listening to it all just as much it's incredible yeah. it's timeless it is it's, it, it is if, if, if uh, you know I'd sort of somebody asked me once I said if you if you if you if you got a pot and you mixed up Tom Petty and Black Sabbath and uh and feet of Matt, and, that, and that's that's kind of that would bring out little elements of what kind of like yeah, like feeder sound like in some way. Because I'd it, have it that is, tattooed you know, on my you... chest. That would be like my ultimate compliment. <laughs> like Sabbath, Fleetwood Mac, and well, Tom Petty is me. I mean, yeah. it's just they're just all iconic bands, and they all do a different thing, but they're all you know hugely influential to me. I would say those three particularly. I was yeah. Anyway, but um, you know, songwriting. He was just it's all about songwriting. That's why that's what he was great at. So. Yeah. So any advice out there, unless you're very lucky and very hipster and you have your moment, just keep writing the songs. And if you get that one that comes along and it connects with people, then that can be the, that can be your launch pad, you know? I think this leads really nicely to my final question today. And what I do on Mark and Me to try and make it as original as I can is the guest that's on the podcast gets to choose the outro piece of music. And it can be any band, any artist, any song in the world. Um, I find bands find this the hardest question. Um, you'll probably get it down to 10 songs and want to drop me a, a Facebook message in a couple of days, but I'm not allowing it. It's got to be on the spot. So what's well, one song? One song. So our episode is done. It's all edited and I'm ready to put it out to the world. What song do you want to choose that's such an important song to you that means the most to you that when I ask the question oh. comes to your heart, soul, and you're like, this is the song I want? Oh my goodness, that is very, 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 very tricky. Um, well, as we talked about Tom Petty, I was going to say, gonna if it's not to, Tom Petty, I'm, my I mean, mind will be blown. I, I'm going to have to go into. I mean, look, there's so many that I can mention, but uh, the, the the only question is which Tom Petty song. I mean, I still love "Don't Come Around," "Don't Come Around Here," and um, "Don't Come Around Here No More." It's just a classic, but. Um, Last Dance of Mary Jane, I don't know. Very, very, very tricky. There's so many that I love. Which one do I pick? This, this is, is a cruel. This, this is what a, I like doing. This is a cruel. I, I think I'm going to go with Last Dance of Mary Jane. Is it? I think that's the official title of it. Only because that was the song that I don't, on that film, I didn't realise that he literally just wrote that for a couple of t- tracks, you know, yeah. two new songs yeah for the best time i'm thinking how good is that song i know oh, i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go to a different studio put my head in a different space go back into that vibe and write the most it's just a, it's a really clever song that then someone just saw all the little backing vocal parts and all the little bits so it's, it's it's a great track so i'm, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go with that just out of respect to tom petty as a, as a tribute to one of my um heroes um don't have that many musical heroes but he's 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 uh, definitely up there him, him and Jeff um, Buckley are mine. Jeff Buckley and Tom oh, Petty, just yeah. that's it. That's the one. Jeff Buckley's awesome. That's my friend. I once recorded back and with Jeff Buckley in New York like many years ago. Wow. So he was an absolute, he said he was a lovely guy. Really, really down to earth. Super mellow. Liked to drink. Just, you know, proper rock and roller, but really sweet. That's, that's what he said. And he said he's, he seems I never got to see him live. Humble. And uh, my friend went to see him at Wolverhampton. And afterwards, he invited everyone back to the hotel and played songs he couldn't fit on the set list for everyone acoustically in the reception of the bar. And I was like, my God, I'd give anything for that. 
I know I had a chance to go and see him, and I didn't go for some reason, and I and I really really deeply like regret it. But anyway, he was a he he was a real talent. Yeah, amazing voice, incredible. Um, great. Well, I, I love today's fun. episode I mean, is uh, being feeder and a tribute to Tom Petty. I love it. It's uh, it couldn't ask so much better than that. <laughs> exactly. I wish you all the luck with the brand new album, Torpedo. I am really excited to see the fans' reactions. And if everything goes well and the world doesn't go crazy, I will be there in Birmingham in May. And I can't wait to see these songs live. Thanks, Mark. Great. Listen, um, give me a shout before and I'll try and sort you out a uh... backstage pass. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I would really appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll send you all a message. Right. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Um, it's been a long time coming, but it's been worth it. So thanks so much. And yeah. then, uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Take care, Cheers, man. Mark. Take care, Bye-bye. mate. See you, mate. Bye. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the lovely Grant Nicholas. Feeder really have been one of the most influential bands that I've listened to over the last 20, maybe 25 years. I think they're astonishing, and if you ever get the chance to go and see them live, do. They put on one of the best shows out there, and I truly do mean it. Grant Nicholas is one of the nicest people in the music industry. He was so generous with his time, and I've really enjoyed today's interview, so a massive thanks again to Grant for coming on the show. As we discussed on today's interview, Feeder do have a brand new album coming out, Torpedo. It's available on March the 22nd, and you should all go and check it out. And they are going to be playing some UK shows around that, so if you get the chance, please go and see them. You'll not be disappointed. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please jump on markandme.com. On there, there's links to my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I ask you all to please share this on your social media networks. It gives me a huge boost in numbers. It gets the name out there and really does help boost this podcast. It costs absolutely nothing to do. It's a retweet button or a share on Facebook or share it on your Instagram feed. But it really, really helps the podcast and it's all I ask. The podcast is free. It will always remain free. And it's the only thing I ask from you guys back at home. But at the same time, if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon page. Each and every month, thanks to the sponsors of the podcast, the amazing Richer Sounds, Vice Press and Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts, I have some incredible prizes to give away to say thanks for supporting me. To find the link to my Patreon, it's on markandme.com. For as little as £1 per month, you're going to get guaranteed a minimum of six podcasts. You're going to start getting some bonus episodes. So if you want to support me via Patreon, the link is on markandme.com and it really is appreciated. I want to say again a massive thank you for Grant for coming on the show. I hope you've all enjoyed this amazing episode. It's been a huge one for me and I'm not slowing down anytime soon. So I will be back with a brand new episode in just a few days time. So until then, look after yourself, take care, listen to Feeder and I'll see you all soon.
tired of screwing up. I'm tired of going down. I'm tired of myself. I'm tired of this town. Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Honey, put on that party dress. Buy me a drink. Sing me a song. Take me as I come, cause I can't stay long. Last dance with Mary Jane. One more time to kill the Standing in her underwear, looking down from a hotel room. The nightfall will be coming soon. Oh, my, my, oh, hell yes. You got to put on that party dress. It was too cold to cry when I woke up alone. I hit my last number, I walked to the road. Last dance with Mary Jane, one more time to kill the pain. 